0: Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBerske. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at etsy.com/slash shopslash beyond blathers to see all the stickers, postcards, and sticker sheets we have for sale.
1: And tell your friends about us. So happy Valentine's Day, Sophia!
0: Happy Valentine's Day.
1: this is coming out like the day before valentine's day but whatever
0: yeah so maybe people are listening to it on valentine's day yeah blathers is my valentine (laughs) i want like
1: a little animal crossing valentine's day card i'm gonna find you an e version and i'll send it to you yes be like
0: cute
1: oh you're my valent what does he do (laughs) oh oh
0: you're my valentine's
1: or something like that
0: uh, yeah, also, I guess this is going up the day after the Super Bowl or the superb owl.
1: Oh, the superb owl, of course, my favorite day on science Twitter. Yeah, if you don't know what that is it's it's just scientists sharing photos of owls, usually,
0: yeah, go check out that hashtag.
1: <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> as someone who does not care in the slightest about sports, I find it a really great use of that day.
0: Yeah, I agree. I have no idea who's playing. I know Rihanna's playing.
1: Uh, I also learned that, but only just today. I'm, I'm really, <laughs> the algorithm knows not to show me anything. Yeah. I have a negative interest in sports.
0: <laughs> well, I'm excited for today's episode.
1: Yeah, so today we're going to do a little bit of a special. We're going to celebrate this day of love by sharing our top 11 favorite facts of animal courting from animals we've talked about in this show, and then I'll be giving each animal a completely arbitrary rating on their mating methods, which, you know, Sophia, I invite you to contest if you have any issues with my rating.
0: I love that it's top 11 facts. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: Okay, so I was going to do 10 and then I was like, ah, this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want. It doesn't have to be 10. It was actually 12 before, but then I cut one because I realized it was kind of boring. So it was actually really fun going through all of the old episode scripts because, okay, I feel like I have like terrible goldfish memory and... I actually forget so much of what we talk about on this show, which makes me really sad. And I don't know how to, like, get better at, like, putting it into my brain. But also we've done, like, 127 episodes. So in my defense, that's, like, a lot of episodes to remember all the facts from.
0: Yeah, that's so many animals.
1: Yeah, and, like, I, there were times where I was reading old scripts and I was like, whoa, that's such a cool fact. And then I'm like, wait, I literally wrote this.
0: I was like, I had no idea. (laughs) Well, without further ado, let's get into it. What's number 11, Olivia?
1: So at number 11, we have both one of the best and worst reproductive techniques performed by none other than the meek water strider. So if you remember, the water strider is this skinny little bug that runs across the tops of water in ponds, lakes, and other water bodies. And one of the really annoying things it does is sometimes it'll like tap the eyeballs of the female like to court her, which is just so obnoxious. I dislike it intensely, but not as much as I dislike this next fact. So... We're specifically going to talk about the species Gerus gracilicornis and a paper I read about them from Hannah Jablonski in 2010 describes this very weird mating technique in which the female water strider for this species has a shield over her genital opening, which allows her to choose when to mate So she's got this shield, and unless she opens it, the male just cannot successfully copulate with her. So the males have gone on and found this very devious way around this literal barrier. So when a male mounts the female, he'll reach his legs to the water, and he'll start to like tap. And this tapping creates vibrations that can be heard deep into the pond where predatory fish are lurking. These males aren't just doing a little tap dance to impress the female. They're actually threatening her. They're saying that if she doesn't agree to mate, he's just going to keep tapping the water surface. And each tap is announcing to predators where they are. And as though this couldn't be worse, the male is actually in a safer position than the female because he's on top of her. So if a predator comes to eat them, he'll likely escape. It's genuinely, like, the most dirtbag thing I've ever heard out of the Animal Kingdom. It's horrible.
0: Yeah, I hate that.
1: So I give that a rating of 1 out of 10 for being just insanely manipulative and yuck. Big yuck for this one.
0: I really, really don't like that. That That is a canceled insect.
1: Oh uh, Yeah, they are on my, like, boo list for bugs now. I boo them when I see them. <laughs> I just like, it really... I, I This is one of those facts that I just straight up forgot, which is kind of funny because uh, the lab I work in, uh, there are these water striders always over my head. Like, there's these sculpted water striders because the person who used to have the lab before us, John Spence, he was like, I think he was like the biggest water strider expert in the world or like one of the biggest, so... You would think I'd know a lot about water striders. So yeah, that that's a crazy fact. So I'm going from sort of like starting at like the least romantic thing possible. Right. And then for number 10, we have another, yet another gruesome mating story. I promise they get like less horrible after this. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not true. After number nine-ish point is sometimes mating in the animal world is hard and it and it's it's a rough time so this is our only prehistoric creature as unfortunately we know little about how animals reproduced way back then but thanks to some special fossils we have the bodies of two intertwined colombian mammoths and this isn't a romantic intimate moment between like a male and a female mammoth instead it's the remains of two male mammoths who got their huge tusks stuck together during a fierce fight, likely over mates and dominance. So these 10,000-year-old mammoths encountered each other on the chilly plains of what is now Nebraska. And male mammoths were likely rather solitary. And at this time, they were probably filled with testosterone and the desire to mate. So finding another male meant a threat to their need to reproduce. And such a threat resulted in this dramatic fight to the death. So my rating for this one is three out of 10 because both these mammoths did put a lot of effort into mating, but they lose points because they just completely failed at doing that. So sorry, three out of 10 Colombian mammoths.
0: Yeah, they didn't even make it to a female.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a rough life. (laughs) So number nine, we have scorpions. So I don't know if you recall this fact, but scorpions take romance to the dance floor with a dramatic waltz. The male and female scorpions will take each other's pedipalps, which are the claws, and they'll dance around one another until they get to a suitable mating location. This dance is called a promenade de deux. And after this, it gets, um, I'm going to say quirky to keep things family friendly. So (laughs) the male will then perform a variety of activities depending on the species. He may judder, which is a term for a weird shaking and vibrating of the ground. Uh, He may also massage the mouth parts of the female and rub the stinger. And then finally, he may also hit the female with his stinger or even conduct what's called a sexual sting. Now, it isn't fully known whether this sting inserts venom into the female or not. According to an article from the Natural History Museum of London, some scorpions have two types of venom. One is the venom that actually contains the proteins to paralyze the victim. And the other is called, and I quote, I'm not making this up, it's called pre-venom. And this can be very painful, but not toxic. Rather, it contains mostly salts. So the thinking is that this sexual stinging is something to calm down the female who, you know, could also go ahead and sting the male. So this sort of like sedates her. Alternately, it could be something to stimulate her and encourage her to stay with the dance to the end, which, you know, at the end, the male will deposit a sack of sperm for the female to pick up like a lovely box of chocolates for a lover on Valentine's Day. It's just it's such a bizarre story.
0: Yeah, I I feel like if it's consensual, it sounds like. I don't know, an interesting time. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's it's very unique. It sounds like there's a lot of different ways it could go, you know? There could be some stinging. There could be some juddering. <laughs> <laughs> there could be there's some massages. Dancing. Lots going on here. So I give this one a 4 out of 10. Juddering, stinging, and pre-venom all sound really quite unpleasant, but I will give an extra bonus point for the emotional whiplash of reading the words Promenade de Deux followed by Sexual Stinging. It does all sound very French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, number eight, we have the Eagle Owls, so we're going to chill out a little bit here. The Eagle Owls, they're really masters at keeping a long-term relationship really nice and Filled with romance and respect, even though they stay with the same partner year after year, they will perform yearly mating rituals, so they will hoot to each other, they'll nuzzle each other's beaks, and they'll even bow to one another. They're just, they really care about each other, they have this mutual respect, and they will keep this this relationship their entire lives, which could be over 20 years, so seven out of ten because of the respect, but also it's a little bit boring, which is why I didn't rate it higher.
0: Uh, I feel like you're giving it seven out of ten because you're in a long-term relationship, but as like a oh, that must be single it. person. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying ten out of ten, maybe even eleven out of ten because this doesn't even sound achievable to me. me and who and when <laughs> Yes, I it's it's
1: your relationship goals to be like the eagle yeah. owl.
0: And, Sounds very uh, cute and wholesome. Bow at
1: one another every once in a while.
0: I feel the emotional whiplash of the scorpion into the eagle owl. Yeah. <laughs> Those are pretty different.
1: Yeah, I think maybe that's why I say it's boring, is just compared to like the drama of the scorpions and the water striders. It just seems so vanilla. Tame, yeah. Very tame. All right, moving on to number seven, we have Arapaima. So arapaima are huge Amazonian fish that live in muddy fresh waters. And like the eagle owls, arapaima mates really support one another. The male will brood their young in his mouth while the female will stay near him and she'll protect him and their babies from predators. And I also like to think she's keeping him company. So, you know, 7.5 out of 10 for, you know, this fun little like role swapping, female independence. I'm a fan. It just seems really
0: supportive. Yeah, that's a cute one, too. I like it. They're getting more romantic.
1: Yeah. So number six, we have the mole cricket. If you didn't hear our mole cricket episode, just imagine a regular cricket that likes to burrow and has these big catcher's mitts on its hands. The mole cricket is definitely, like, that guy who, who, like, thinks that being the most obvious guy in the room is gonna, like, get him all the ladies. So, he'll build himself a mud microphone by creating a small burrow constructed to amplify the sound of his cricket chirps. This way, he'll beat out all the other mole crickets to be the loudest lad in the land. So, 8 out of 10 for the mole cricket because... This just seems like a lot of work to do. And, you know, at least he's not repeatedly stinging his mate or threatening his mate with death. Um, He just seems like vaguely annoying, but kind of cute with the amount of effort he puts in.
0: Yeah, like if you if you fantasize about being serenaded, that's nice.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, loud frat boy, but maybe he's like a crooner. You know, yeah. maybe he's like uh, got a beautiful voice and he's playing Beatle songs to you on his guitar.
0: He's playing Wonderwall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At number five, we have the nudibranch. I love these guys, those little nudes. So these little gender bending magical ocean creatures are not only beautiful, but they can produce both sperm and eggs. And really everything about their reproduction is just quite bizarre. Like their genital opening is in the back right side of their head, like just behind the head. So when they mate, they have to do it side by side. And they also require that they both extend their penises to exchange sperm, like some sort of like covert money exchange. In the case (laughs) of one species, Chromodorus reticulata, they decide that once they're done mating, they actually really don't need their penis and they just throw it off because it's too much effort to reel it back in. So 9 out of 10 for the nudibranch, specifically chromodorus. Uh, just respect. The nudibranch is lazy and it knows it. So just just get rid of that penis. It's fine. I love that. That's so funny. Number four, we have pufferfish. This is such a cool mating ritual because it starts with this 15-year-old mystery of these ornate sort of crop circles that were drawn in the sand off the coast of Japan on the seafloor. So for years, people wondered where they were from until a team of divers saw this tiny little ordinary brown pufferfish in the genus Torquigener casually swimming on the ocean floor, dragging its little body through the sand, and creating these mathematically perfect radially symmetrical circles. It's just stunning. They look like those, um, like drawn mandalas. They're just these ornate circular patterns, and and they're beautiful. So these pufferfish do this, of course, to impress a mate. They may even take little pieces of shell to decorate it, and if they're lucky and the lady likes it, she'll lay her eggs at the center of the ring. This is possibly one of my favorite videos on the internet. You have to search it up. Go BBC pufferfish circles or pufferfish mating and it'll come right up it's so cute this little pufferfish looks so happy and so determined to make this beautiful ornate pattern and he'll even like pick up the little shells with his mouth and bring it over and place it very carefully on the ridges of the circle there's just so much effort into it so 10 out of 10 this is just perfection could not be cuter you're gonna cheer on the pufferfish while you watch
0: yeah, this is – we were talking about things that we forget from past episodes, but, like, I could never forget this. It's such an amazing story, and I love the way that you, like, told the story on the episodes. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to the Pufferfish episode. I think I was really in my, like, X-Files era when editing it as well, so there's some fun <laughs> X-Files stuff in it. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's very cool. I don't know. Pufferfish are already cool, and then you find out this, and it's like, ugh. Amazing.
1: Okay, number three, we have salmon.
0: Yeah, I can I can talk a little bit about salmon. They're definitely a, a sad courtship ritual. Salmon will journey from their homes in the ocean up the freshwater rivers of the world where they will spend the last part of their lives returning to the grounds that they first came from. Here, fish will spawn altogether and almost right after will die, becoming food for all kinds of birds of prey bears and the rest of the forest it's a very beautiful story i also love the way like you know the salmon turn so red when they spawn and i don't know it's just it's very it's very beautiful and also reminds you of like the frailty of life when you see all (laughs) the dead spawn salmon
1: yeah it's very like circle of life flying king like Yes, You know, the fish dies and feeds the forest and then it's born and, you know, it'll die in the same place it was born, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's very cool that, like, the males especially will get these, like, really, like, intense looking jaws. Like, the the physical change that salmon go through prior to courtship is is pretty cool. But it's also, yeah, it's really sad. They're literally, like, disintegrating as they're mating, like especially if they're one of like the last ones to reach the mating site, like their flesh is just rotting off of them. It's very, oh, it's, it's depressing, but also, you know, good for the bears and the eagles and everything else that's going to eat them. So I don't know. I give it an, an 11 out of 10. It'll make me cry if I think about it too hard, but it's <laughs> so, it's so cool. At number two, we have the clownfish. And I don't know. I put it really high because I think about it a lot. So clownfish are all born male, and then they live in these little dominance hierarchies, little groups of like two to six fish. And at the top of the dominance ladder will be the queen bee clownfish, who will have actually changed from male to female and will be the biggest in the group. And she reproduces with the clownfish who is next in line for the clownfish throne. If the big boss fish dies, then that next in line male will take place as queen and that fish will become female as well and then the lower in the dominance hierarchy the fish is the smaller they will be but I just think that is such an interesting like I don't know it seems really unique I'm sure it's not I'm sure there's a lot of fish that do that but like how cool I just 12 out of 10 for me because I really didn't expect this from the clownfish when I first started researching them they just seem like very basic fish to me I would expect basic behavior apart from the cool anemone stuff. But like, how neat. Why don't we talk about that more?
0: Yeah, it's so cool. And it's one of those things where you're like, how can the fish's biology like know what's happening socially and change and everything? Like, so cool.
1: Yeah, there's just so much going on there. This dominance and like the hormonal change that requires and knowing when that like the top... Dog fish has like disappeared. Like at what point yeah. do they sort of go, okay, she's gone. Who's next? Such a cool story.
0: Okay, can I do number one? Because I'm very oh, excited yes. about it.
1: I I yeah, this is your thing. I don't know why, but <laughs> it's your thing.
0: Yes. Okay, so number one, if you're a loyal listener, I feel like you will have guessed that this would be number one. It is the boxer shrimp, which is from our Venus flower basket episode which I really think is definitely my favorite episode that I've ever done and one of my favorite stories from the podcast ever.
1: Yeah, I agree. This is one that I think took me by such a surprise. I didn't think that we'd have much to talk about at all with the Venus flower basket, but oh, was I wrong?
0: Yeah, I remember just choosing it and then I was like, wait, (laughs) what? So if you didn't listen to that episode... The Venus flower basket is a sea sponge found in the deep sea, and it looks like this really beautiful woven glass vase. Um, I I think I also, in that episode, said that I thought it looked like a Parmesan cheese bowl, like a bowl made of Parmesan cheese, (laughs) (laughs) which is the most romantic thing to me.
1: Yeah. I'm sure it smells amazing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, when they're young, the boxer shrimp are really small. And a male and female boxer shrimp will fall in love and find themselves a nice Venus flower basket to make their home. They'll move in and help to keep the Venus flower basket clean of parasites and other things that could hurt the sea sponge. Slowly, as they grow, they will never be able to leave the confines of the basket and will be trapped forever. They will have little shrimp babies, though, and those babies will squeeze through the holes of the basket to find their own home to be trapped in forever. (laughs) it's so romantic and also terrifying.
1: There's, it, it, I don't know, it just really, it really reminds me of like this cautionary fairy tale. Like, it's both like, I don't know, it's like bittersweet, but a lot of bitter.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think during the episode, we kind of debated about how actually romantic it is. I think it's very romantic in concept, like definitely like Uh, yeah 100 out of 10 like this is I think this is what you know Valentine's is about but I don't know if that's a good thing but this is
1: Valentine's (laughs) idealized images of love
0: or (laughs) yeah like being with someone forever being trapped with them oh yeah
1: I guess trapped definitely has some negative connotations but uh maybe maybe just be with someone forever In a very nice little home that looks like a beautiful gift of Parmesan cheese.
0: I still think like just probably objectively like Eagle Owl is the most aspirational. Venus Flower Basket is just the most wild. Yeah, I think it takes the idea of, I
1: don't know, some sort of partnership to like an extreme. Yeah. Really all of these do, (laughs) which is why I chose them because they're just bizarre.
0: No, I love it. And definitely Venus Flower Basket is another one. If you haven't listened to that episode, that is peak Beyond Flathers. So go give it a listen.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it was really fun looking back on all these episodes. I, I really enjoyed this sort of like amalgamation of facts. I kind of want to do it again for something else. But mating is a good one to do because there's just like, I don't know if you can get much crazier than some of these. Like, And especially once you look into the rest of the animal kingdom, Like, birds and and reptiles do some really weird stuff. I think the animal kingdom is so fun because evolution does such weird things. I I don't get it. (laughs) So weird. I'm just, like, mystified by it at all times. So I hope this Valentine's Day you share one of these very weird facts with your significant other or your date or whoever you're spending your evening with. And yeah. I hope they appreciate
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't, that's a red flag. This
1: could be a good litmus test for a date. Yeah. You'll be like, what do you think of this fact? You know what? If you're on those dating apps, use one of these facts as you're, you know, sliding into the DMs. Ooh, See what they yes. think of it. Maybe don't use the scorpion one.
0: <laughs> Depending on what you're into. Yeah.
1: I Maybe maybe you'll use it as like a,
0: a trick question. I don't know. Well, thank you so much, Olivia, for putting this really fun list together and coming back through the archives. I had a lot of fun. And thanks everyone so much for listening and happy Valentine's Day. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers, and check out our TikTok at beyond underscore blathers. And
1: don't forget to take a look at our shop
0: at etsy.com slash
1: shop slash beyond blathers.
0: Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!